I help lead an infertility support group and I think something that comes up a lot is like these intangible losses that you lose kind of how you think you're going to get pregnant and how you think you're going to share that news and kind of what you think this process is going to be along the way and there's just you're constantly losing something. Been There Injected That is a TMI podcast about going through infertility and all the hormone injections, awkward moments, and nervous breakdowns along the way. I'm Elise Ash. I want to let you know that this episode contains conversations about child loss and stillbirth. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Been There, Injected That. Today on the podcast, we have our guest, Bridget Kerber, who is a physician's assistant in Minneapolis. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Lise. Thanks so much for being a guest today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So why don't we start out and why don't you share a little bit about yourself, where you're from, um, and a little bit about your family. Yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of the Twin Cities. I grew up in Plymouth. Um, I have an older brother, older sister, my parents, uh, most of my family still in the area. I met my husband, Eric, through a mutual friend about 12 years ago. We've been married for seven years. We just had our anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and we live downtown Minneapolis. We really enjoy that area. Do you remember having a conversation about okay, now we're going to start trying? Or was there some kind of moment or date or conversation where you decided to stop using birth control or start actively trying? Yeah, the funny thing is I don't really even remember what kind of prompted the timing that we decided to start. I remember feeling unready and scared. I think Eric was more ready than I was, which is kind of funny to think about. I think it was just after we had some we had like a destination wedding in Mexico and my sister was getting married and we had kind of decided that after that, that I would get, I had an IUD in so that I would get the IUD out and that we'd start trying and that's what we did. So how were those first few months and years of trying to conceive? Like, were they really stressful or were you guys kind of just having fun and seeing what happened or like, what was your personal style with dealing with that time in your life? Uh, definitely not having fun and seeing what happened. <laughs> That's one of my favorite like misconceptions about infertility where people are like, oh my gosh, you must be having so much sex. It must be so fun. I'm like, okay, it's not like fun, sexy sex. It's like crying yeah, <laughs> and having a giant fight like the day you're supposed to have sex. And then like, are we still talking? What are we doing? Yeah. I mean, it becomes terrible. Like I remember, you know, we had have a full day of work and then we'd have something after work and then we'd come home and have feel like we had to have sex because I was ovulating and it was definitely not a fun relaxing enjoyable time you know we started tracking or I started tracking let's be honest here (laughs) I started tracking my cycles like right away uh so I felt like we kind of knew when everything was happening and we were timing it right and it just was not happening and it was hard. I mean, early on, it was really, really stressful and really hard. Were your cycles pretty normal and regular or was there something kind of wonky? Did you have a feeling like maybe something was up? I always felt like it was going to take us a long time to get pregnant. I didn't have crazy cycles, but they weren't, you know, 28 days on the dot. They varied. They were 20 days one month and then the next month they were 40. So it's not like I ever went three months in between or anything, but they just weren't super consistent. 
And then you, as a physician's assistant, probably have a lot more medical knowledge than just like a regular person with a marketing degree like myself. So do you think that kind of impacted the lens through which you were viewing this experience or the way you were looking at your body? I think so, because I think I was trying to figure out like what was going wrong and, you know, probably reading into everything um, and trying to probably self-diagnose. Like, yeah, (laughs) I mean, probably all of us are guilty of, but probably those of us in healthcare are even guiltier of sometimes. So so when did you think like something might be wrong? When did what were those first steps in the beginning of going to a physician or getting treatment or what what did those early days look like? I kind of knew that the general rule was a year of trying um, and then you could kind of go in for the workup. And at like six months, you know, I felt like this is not happening. I felt like we were doing the right things with tracking. Um, And so I actually emailed uh, my like OB's office and kind of got the one year spiel back from them. They say like most people get pregnant within a year and it's like, well, yeah, but the majority of those are within the first six months. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember being stressed out about keeping going for like six more months. But I think when we kind of hit the end of just trying on our own, we were um, in Florida and it was like month 10, I think. And my sister was pregnant uh, down there with us. And I was obviously happy for her, but it was really hard. Do you remember talking to your sister about how you were feeling about her pregnancy or were you having those kinds of open conversations or were you feeling like a little bit of shame around some of the jealousy and was she aware of what you guys were going through? I did share um, what we were going through because when I found out she was pregnant, it was it was hard for me. Like yeah. I said, I was happy for her, but it was really hard. Um, and she was very supportive and wanted to help us, you know, as much as she could, like emotionally through the journey. And she was very supportive. But yeah, we did have conversations about kind of where things were at. And I felt like she understood like some of the pain that we were going through. So you go in for your workup and do they find anything immediately? What are the the next steps? Yeah, so we did all the workup and everything just kept coming back normal. And so I remember my doctor saying like we could kind of regroup and talk to talk about what to do with this diagnosis of unexplained infertility and i remember i mean it was probably pretty naive but thinking like oh like there's nothing wrong so yeah. this is no big deal so i actually went back to that next appointment to kind of talk about next steps uh by myself i didn't bring eric with me and i remember sitting in her office and her telling me that our best chances of getting pregnant were ivf and i was just blown away. I was that your OB? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I really didn't expect that. You know, I think at that point I figured like maybe some Clomid and maybe an IUI yeah. or something. Um, and we did start that way, but it just totally kind of took me back when. I feel like if my OB had said in those early appointments, like you're probably going to need IVF, I would have completely lost it I mean that just seems like such an extreme reaction so early like especially if you're there you're getting like your ultrasound and your AMH and yeah you know you're so early in the testing process it's like wait what yeah yeah it totally threw me off and I was there by myself I had to go back I had to go to work after that and it was really hard because I went from thinking like oh there's nothing wrong like this is no big deal to thinking like holy crap (laughs) so after seeing your OB and getting that information about maybe having to pursue IVF. 
What were your next steps then? I assume you and Eric had a conversation. Yeah. And when we say conversation, it was probably mostly just me telling him what we were going to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we we decided to start doing like Clomid and doing IUIs. Uh, my OB office didn't do IUIs, so she referred us to an RE at that point. Um, so we went in and started the IUI process really pretty quickly. I didn't have a lot of patience throughout any of this process, so I wanted to keep things moving. So we were in for an IUI like that. I mean, that next cycle right after the workup. Why do you think you had that sense of urgency at the time? Was there something telling you like maybe this was going to take a while or is that just kind of your personality? I think just my personality. You know, I think I wasn't dealing well with infertility. I mean, I was a mess every month. It was heartbreaking and I I wasn't someone that could just kind of take it in stride. I was struggling. What were you doing during those like really tough months in the beginning to find support? I think in those early months when we were trying on our own, I probably wasn't doing much, which was probably a big part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Probably like wine each month when I got yeah. my period was about it. You know, we we wanted to be able to surprise people like when we got pregnant. So it wasn't really something that we were having big discussions with people about. But as time went on and as we started doing more treatments, I found more resources um, through like support groups and therapy and acupuncture and kind of started doing a lot more self-care. Isn't it weird how I also felt this like desire to surprise people? Like I like I both wanted to tell everyone because I needed support and that's kind of just my communication style is just like talking and like talking it out. And but then also I felt robbed of this like great experience I had pictured where it was like I'm gonna take a positive pregnancy test and like surprise Brad at home and it's gonna go viral on YouTube and we're gonna (laughs) be on the Today Show and okay obviously I didn't actually think that part was gonna happen but I did feel really robbed of this experience that I'd pictured in my head. I help lead an infertility support group and I think something that comes up a lot is like these intangible losses that you lose kind of how you think you're going to get pregnant and how you think you're going to share that news and kind of what you think this process is going to be along the way. And there's just, you're constantly losing something. And the further in the journey you go, the more you're losing. Like at the beginning, I remember thinking like, oh, I'm not going to be able to like surprise Brad. And then it eventually became like, we're not going to be able to get pregnant like in our bed, in our home. And I just felt like the further and further you go on or if you learn like you might have to you know, look at donor eggs or donor sperm or embryo donor or a surrogate or, you know, it just feels like what you had in your mind has to keep shifting and you keep mourning and grieving. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, that's exactly it. You have to grieve all those losses because it is truly losing what you pictured. Yeah. So after that first IUI, um, what happened? Well, first IUI was a no-go. Everything went kind of according to plan, picture perfect, and we did not get pregnant. Uh, So we did three more IUIs after that. Um, The fourth one was kind of because I was still just resistant to IVF. I just didn't think that we would need it. I think I was convinced we would get pregnant with Clomid and an IUI or some injectables. We tried injectables the last cycle. Why do you think you were so resistant to IVF? I think it's just so overwhelming because 
I think I didn't really know people that had gone through it and I didn't know what to expect and it felt so overwhelming. I remember feeling like I was taking little bits and pieces of puzzles like, okay, what does DPO stand for? D's past mm-hmm. ovulation. What does a 5DT stand for? <laughs> like, I feel like I was kind of piecing it together as I went and yeah. then like through a certain movie, I'd be like, oh, okay, it looks like these kinds of meds are you know injected through your stomach versus your butt like and i just remember having like little micro conversations and doing little bits of research and then all of a sudden you put it all together and you're like damn that is a lot of work yeah once you kind of realize what all it entails it's just you realize it's like a a job on top of your totally normal job yeah it is totally having a second job yeah so can you walk us through what happened once you decided to pursue ivf so we kind of got the ball rolling right away with ivf just like everything else along the way. Uh, and we did the retrieval, had, you know, pretty good results. We had, like, lower than expected results a couple st- steps along the way, uh, like with fertilization. But we had what I thought was a good number of blasts to start out with and geared up for a frozen transfer. We had decided to do uh, testing on our embryos and to do a frozen transfer. So... We started preparing for our first frozen embryo transfer, and we transferred one embryo, and that transfer didn't work. No positive pregnancy tests. So we were pretty gutted by that. I think you go into it with so much hope and thinking that this is going to work. You know, the odds are so much better than with IUI. And so for it not to work felt pretty, pretty devastating. Especially when you're doing genetic testing yeah. and you have all this confidence and everything looks great and yeah. why wouldn't it work and you have unexplained infertility and mm-hmm. everything looks great on paper and then it's still like a no. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty hard to stomach. It was hard to swallow that it didn't work and that nothing seemed wrong. Everything seemed like it had gone right and according to plan. So so after that first transfer didn't work, um, did you take some time off to kind of regroup emotionally or were you like no, let's keep attacking this thing. I pretty much wanted to keep going forward, but I felt like we needed to change things up since it hadn't worked. So we regrouped and kind of decided to do a little bit different strategy, do a little bit different like med prep. So just for you weren't doing another retrieval. This was just like another transfer with a different blast that you had frozen. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so we decided to do um, Depo-Lupron for a couple months, which I don't have, like, diagnosed endometriosis, but just thought it would be something different to try. So I did that for a couple months, which is not a fun medication to be on. So then we got ready for our second transfer. Um, with our second transfer, we decided to transfer two embryos this time. Um, and everything went kind of beautifully leading up to transfer. Uh, and we did the transfer. And I got pregnant with that transfer. And I remember feeling confident. I didn't really think that anything would go wrong because um, our issue was getting pregnant in my mind. Yeah, that was your first positive pregnancy test. Yeah, ever. So I had no reason to think that anything would go wrong. And how was Eric feeling? So excited and so hopeful. Um, it's weird to think back on that time and just how like blissful we were and kind of how we had no idea what was coming Mm -hmm. for the first, you know, week or two after our 
blood tests, everything was going well. And then the night leading into my six-week ultrasound, uh, it was like 9 or 10 p.m. And I just remember feeling kind of like crampy. And I got up and got out of bed um, and knew something was wrong. I was gushing blood. Um, and I called for Eric. I mean, he like jumped over the bed, um, and raced into the bathroom. And I mean, it was like a crime scene there. I was sure I was miscarrying. And so we called the on-call doctor who was my RE. And I remember as she answered the phone, I was saying to Eric, I can't keep fucking doing this. And I remember her picking up right then. And I just, I know she heard that. And I just felt like I was at the end of my rope. Um, And she kind of talked me off the ledge and told me that it was probably a subchorionic hemorrhage, that they're super common with IVF pregnancies, but that we could call in the morning and that they'd get us in right away in the morning for ultrasound. Had you already had an ultrasound or you were just, your beta had doubled and you were kind of waiting for that first ultrasound? Yeah, it was the night before our very first ultrasound. So our betas had doubled fine, like everything was looking good. Um, So that was kind of the first sign that something was wrong. I remember her taking us back to the room. There were multiple people in there, Ari, the NP at the clinic. There was like a resident, I think, an ultrasound tech and then us. And my RE did the ultrasound and she said, like, my style is to look and not to talk until I've kind of seen everything. And then I tell you, like, what's going on. And so I just remember laying there. And then I don't remember exactly what she said. All I remember is that she said something about a heartbeat. And we both just broke down um, because there's no way we thought we were going to see a heartbeat that morning. But our baby was alive and well, and I had a, a huge subchorionic hemorrhage. And so she put me on bed rest at that point at six weeks pregnant. Ugh. From that point on, we kind of went in weekly for ultrasounds to my RE, and everything seemed to be going well. Um, the baby was growing, and the subchorionic hemorrhage was there, but didn't seem to be affecting things. So... For the next four weeks or so, we were going into my RE weekly and then finally got taken off bed rest at 10 weeks um, and graduated to my OB. So it felt like things were going well. Um, How were you kind of feeling emotionally? Like, were you in this place of like, don't get your hopes up? Or were you in this place of like, we're out of the woods? I don't think I ever felt like we were out of the woods during those weeks of bed rest. I think the first week was the worst because... You know, we felt like, oh, was the heartbeat too slow? Like, was the baby measuring too small? And then the the second ultrasound I had, so at like seven weeks pregnant, the heart rate had picked up and the growth seemed good. And so I think that first week was really the hardest um, where I still kind of didn't know what was going to happen. But then after that, it just seemed like things were going okay. And I knew like we weren't totally out of the woods, but I think with each weekly ultrasound, I've started to feel more and more confident. And when I graduated to my OB, when I went in for like my intake appointment with um, the nurse practitioner, I remember like I was still so cautious, you know, about like the restrictions that my RE had put me on. And she was like, no, you like don't need to be. And she's, I mean, she literally said to me, like, if you were going to miscarry, you would have miscarried by now. And so they 
really felt like I was in the clear. Um, and so we we shared that we were pregnant on Facebook and we shared everything that we had been through. I was what was the response to that post? So much support, so much love. I had felt strongly that I wanted to share what we had been through because I felt like people don't talk about it and it's it's so hard to go through without support and I just wanted if I could to be there for someone else or to give them hope that you know that things can turn out um and I got so many messages so many comments and you know messages from people that I hadn't talked to in years saying like thank you we're going through this and it was so helpful oh my gosh that was when we kind of started sharing a little more publicly about what we were going through that was what I couldn't believe was how many people I knew who either had been through it or were going through it there was like this underground club and it was just like super weird because on the if I hadn't shared that I still wouldn't know half of those people went through what they'd been through and you know no fault on them we all have the right to our privacy it's a really private medical situation to be in so I don't begrudge anyone but it was just so bizarre to me after we shared where all of a sudden you're like oh my gosh me and me and me and me yeah and it's I mean it's kind of heartbreaking when that happens because you just realize how much stigma there is and how there just isn't this like world where people share that they're going through this really really hard thing We'll be right back. So one of the things that I'm personally really bad at is asking for help. I hate asking for help. And that vulnerability stuff that Brene Brown talks about is so real. Uh, But I'm going to ask for your help right now because I need it. Um, So if you have five minutes, either right now or on the bus home from work, or if there's a quick ad break during your Hulu binge, please take a second to rate this podcast. The best way for other fertility warriors to find Been There Injected That is for our listeners to rate us and write us a review. So please go ahead and do that. And thank you so much. Back to the show. It was shortly after uh, we shared that I was pregnant that... I had just a little bit of spotting and I called my OB's office and it had been a couple weeks since I had been in for an ultrasound. So they just brought me in just for one to kind of make sure everything was going okay. Uh, So Eric came with me to the ultrasound. Baby looked great. She was moving around. Uh, So he actually left the appointment, went back to work. And then I was meeting with, it was the on-call OB after the ultrasound. And Uh, I remember sitting in there and she asked me if I like read ultrasounds at work. And I said, well, not this type of ultrasound. And her words to me were, baby's alive, but measuring very small. And I don't remember a lot of what she said after that. But she basically told me that this was going to be a hard journey were her words to me. And she said that if I didn't have a therapist that I should find one. Oh my God. It was pretty like shocking because we had been in the ultrasound. We hadn't really like seen that anything looked weird or that looked wrong. So, you know, like I said, Eric had even left. So I was sitting in the room by myself then. um, And I was supposed to go back to work, which obviously I did not. So I went home and Eric came and met me at home and um, talked to the doctor on the phone then and kind of retold him what she had told me and then the next few weeks were just kind of a whirlwind they were trying to figure out kind of 
what was going on with her growth and why uh, why it had slowed down. So I went to uh, the perinatologist, maternal fetal medicine, had a bunch of testing there. Can you explain what that type of doctor is? Yeah, so they're like the high-risk OBs. So in an uncomplicated pregnancy, you might see them for like the anatomy scan. In a complicated pregnancy, you see them quite often. Mm -hmm. So the first meeting there, we had like a level two ultrasound where they were measuring everything on the baby. And I was like 15 or 16 weeks at that point, and everything was measuring like 12 weeks. I just remember watching all the numbers come up and seeing how small everything was measuring. Like it was like less than fifth percentile for everything they measured. And then we met with a perinatologist after that and he kind of walked us through what the options or what the possibilities were of what they thought was going on. And he told us, um, I remember Eric asking, you know, what are the odds that I'll be holding my daughter? And the doctor said, in the best case scenario, 40%. So I just remember sitting in that office and our world's just kind of shattering, you know, going into that. We knew something was wrong, but we didn't know kind of how bad it was. I actually ended up like having an amniocentesis. That's when, you know, we found out that chromosomally everything was fine um, because they were convinced that something was wrong, even though we had done like the genetic testing on the embryo. So we were convinced that everything was fine from the beginning. Um, but everything came back normal. Uh, and then we had just been at the perinatologist earlier in the week, and I had just kind of a routine OB appointment. And I had told Eric, like, we've both missed so much work. We're going to miss so much more. Like, don't come with me. This is just a normal appointment. And we had just had an ultrasound like two days before. And so I went into the OB And she pulled out the Doppler and couldn't find the heartbeat, which wasn't, like, totally unheard of at that point. They kind of always had a hard time. Uh, And she brought me back and pulled out the ultrasound and kept kind of switching probes between the, like, abdominal and the vaginal probe. And I just remember laying there and, like, a tear started just rolling down my cheek. And I just knew that something wasn't right. Um, And so she told me that, you know, she was not seeing a heartbeat, but that she wanted me to have like a formal ultrasound. And so I called Eric, he raced over and met me. And then we went over to the perinatologist. Um, And while we were waiting, they pulled us into a room. They didn't make us sit in the lobby, which was, you know, kind of a a bad sign at that point. Um, And we went in for the ultrasound and I just remember they had these huge monitors um, and they pulled up the picture of her and I knew right away that she wasn't moving and the tech told us that there wasn't a heartbeat. And I'll just never forget like laying in that room and hearing her say those words and hearing Eric, Eric start crying and just it was awful. Um, they gave us options of what to do at that point. Um, All of them were probably terrible. Yeah, they were. When you're uh, that far along in pregnancy, a surgery is a bit more complicated. So um, 
the other option is being induced and delivering the baby, which sounded horrifying when when the doctor gave me those options. But we went home and kind of talked about it and decided that was the option we were going to do. Um, and how far along were you at that point? I was 17 weeks and one day, the day we found out. We just kind of decided that you know, if we went through with a surgery, it's like you go in and you wake up and this baby's gone. And it felt like it wouldn't feel real. And I knew that going through like an induction and delivery would be hard, but it felt like we would get to meet her, meet the baby and that, that all we had been through would feel real and she would feel more real. And so that was, it was actually on a Friday. And so I was Um, scheduled for induction the following Monday. So we went through that weekend, which seems like so grotesque in a way, but in a way it was nice too. Like I got some last time being pregnant with her, which I know sounds crazy because she was dead. Um, But it was nice. We went for a hike and we picked out a name for her. And Had you talked about a name before that? We had loosely our conversation was kind of we need to pick a name (laughs) Um, because we knew that if something happened we wanted her to have a name but we had not gotten there we just we kind of I feel like we knew that that was the outcome but I think we didn't expect it so fast we just kind of enjoyed that time together it was a beautiful weekend weather wise and we just got to like be outside and enjoy Um, And I also got to connect with a few women that had been through it. You know, I went in, like, knowing I was going to be induced, but, like, you don't think about, like, you're going to be on these medications. You're going to have contractions. Like, it's going to be painful, and, like, it's not just something that happens, like, that passively happens to you. Like, you are an active... No, they call it labor for a reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, you are doing work to bring this baby into the world, and... It's cruel because you're going through it knowing that the end result is not a baby you get to take home. Um, You're going through it knowing that the baby that you are bringing into the world isn't alive. Um, But we went in and um, waiting and you wait in the same waiting room like for labor and delivery where there's pregnant women and um, you go to a room that you're next to women bringing living, breathing babies into the world. Uh, And they, I mean, they do their best to try to keep you shielded from it all and to isolate you from all the joy that is going on there. But it's just such a night and day, you know, you versus the room next to you of what's going on. It's like all at one time in the same moment, you have one woman going through like, the most amazing, beautiful, happy moment of her life and, like, somebody else going through the most heartbreaking, unthinkable grief of their life. Yeah. Like, with a door between you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really hard going in for that. I mean, everyone there was, you know, so kind. But, you know, it's multiple doses of medication. It's laboring. It's contractions. I got an epidural... Um, and it was like 13 hours later that she was born. 
and my my family was there um they were out in the waiting room kind of as things got more intense I just couldn't really handle having anyone in there besides Eric and we had a lost doula there actually and it was my OB that was there delivering me and I I remember Eric really wanted to go out and tell them that she was born um and we shared her name with my family we named her Linnea Jean Uh, my mother-in-law's middle name was Lynn and so we chose Linnea and then my mom's middle name was Jean so we chose her name to kind of honor both of our our moms and our families and she was born in the middle of the night and uh, we had her baptized and they um, they have these little tiny bassinets that have like a cooler um, that keeps the baby cool so that like their body doesn't start to break down while they're in the room with you but they she stayed in the room with us all night um, and leaving the hospital the next day was the hardest thing. I mean, you're leaving without a baby. You're getting wheeled out of labor and delivery and they give you a box to put her things in. You know, they gave us a blanket. They gave us a little hat for her to wear. There was a photographer that came and took her pictures and you're leaving with a box with like the blanket and her little hat and her little footprints. Um, and bless those nurses. I mean, doing her little footprints or little handprints. Cause that's what we have of her. So yeah, we, we went home the next day and you're recovering emotionally, but you're also recovering physically. I mean, it's not a full term baby, but you went through labor and I mean, for some women, their milk comes in. Um, so you're dealing with all these kind of awful after effects of birth, but without a baby there. And we, we took time off work. I took a couple weeks off work. How did you feel like your family and your friends were supporting you? Like what, what was helpful during those really early moments and what was maybe less helpful people that really were intentional and specific about checking in people that they didn't just say like I'm so sorry let us know what we can do because I know that's well intentioned but like I didn't even know what to tell someone that they could do yeah you don't know what you need (laughs) yeah yeah I mean like like, do you have a time machine yeah no cool yeah (laughs) yeah so I mean my my sister-in-law and my mom pretty much set up, like, who was dropping off meals for us. And, you know, because we, we weren't hungry. We weren't going to cook for ourselves. It was basically, like, people coming, like, setting a plate in front of us and, like, saying eat. So, like, very specific help and people that kept checking in that, you know, it wasn't just for the first day or two that it was a week, two weeks, two months later. And they'd say, like, how are you doing? Because it's not something you get over in a couple days, a couple weeks. I mean, it... Can you ever get over it? I mean, I don't... I don't know. I mean, so far I would say no. (laughs) You know, it's something that we always think about. You know, my due date for her was two years ago. This, you know, just a week or so ago. It would have been two years ago. And it's so weird to think about having a two-year-old and 
what she would be like and who she would be, uh, what her personality would be like and what our lives would be like. So, no, I would say it never goes away. The dates are always ingrained. You know, she was born in May um, and we celebrate her birthday, which I guess celebrate is kind of an odd word, but we do. We take the day off work and do something special to honor her, visit the cemetery, have birthday cake. (laughs) But no, it's not anything that ever goes away. So because you'd announced your pregnancy on Facebook, then you basically had to untell everybody about the pregnancy. Can you explain like what that felt like and kind of how you decided to approach that? Yeah, that was actually really hard to navigate. And at the time I was kicking myself for having shared it because once we got kind of the news that things weren't going well I didn't want people coming up and congratulating me and it was yeah or like hey we're like a year later hey how's the baby you're like okay yeah so it was literally like three days after we had announced that we found out her growth had slowed down so much so at that point you know I didn't go back to work for the rest of that week and that weekend before I went back to work we had a conversation and kind of decided that for my well-being I needed to put something out there and so we or I posted something that said like thanks for all the love but we've gotten some kind of unexpected and guarded news um and kind of asked for privacy at that point which most people were like respectful of so I think that was really necessary for me to avoid like everybody at work coming up to me and that sort of thing because I just couldn't talk about it and then when she was born, probably like a week later, we we shared that she had been born still because, yeah, I didn't want weird questions and people not to know. Like, I felt like people needed to know what we had been through, what we were going through, because months later at work one day, I remember someone asking me if I had a boy or a girl, and they clearly had did not know yeah they didn't know or weren't on Facebook or hadn't heard right yeah yeah and it's it takes you totally off guard and it's a hard question to navigate and well and then you end up like comforting them yeah exactly I've always felt like with bad news the other person is disappointed or they're embarrassed they probably Mm -hmm. felt terrible like oh my god I can't believe I brought up something like so sensitive and they know that they've probably upset you and you're like, no, 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 it's okay. And like all of a sudden the onus is on you. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think like no matter how you answer it, it just becomes this awkward situation. So, so yeah, we, I felt like we needed to share before everyone was asking us. So after saying goodbye to Linnea and going through this like huge physical and emotional upheaval were you like fuck this I don't want to do this anymore or were you kind of like did you have more resolve like did it depend on the day like what what was going through your mind then because I just I can't imagine having that outcome and then being like let's get back on the horse again it's like so heavy yeah it was really hard to wrap my mind around we still knew we wanted to have a baby But now it was like, you know, we thought we had been through the big hurdle of getting pregnant. But now it was like, well, what if we have another massive loss like this? So at first, you know, like in the very early days, it was like, well, do we do we do this again? Like, I I don't think I could 
literally survive going through it again. And I think a little bit of resolve came when we did get the autopsy results um, because we found out that there was issues with the placenta. We found out the placenta was really clotted. And so that was what was slowing her growth. She just wasn't getting the blood flow that she needed. We eventually decided that we would pursue it again. Did you have more embryos that were frozen or did you have to do another retrieval cycle? We had one more embryo frozen and we debated if we should do another retrieval or just transfer that last embryo. And talking with our RE, we decided to just kind of move forward um, with the last embryo. And I go in for this lining check and all of a sudden there's like all this fluid in my lining. And I guess I should probably like backtrack a little bit because after I had delivered a couple weeks later, I um, had started having a lot of bleeding and a lot of clots. Um, And I went in for an ultrasound then and found out that there was retained placenta from when I delivered. And so I actually had to have a DNC a couple weeks after I delivered Linnea to have that placenta removed, which was really like salt in the wound at that point. So I started developing this fluid. And so we decided that like the day of transfer, my RE was going to do one last ultrasound, look at my lining, and then kind of make a game time decision of if we were going to transfer or not. But we were not hopeful. I mean, Mm -hmm. we went into that transfer day thinking like, this isn't going to happen. And we had the ultrasound and she said like, you know, the fluid is gone, but your lining just doesn't look great. And she said, like, knowing what you guys have been through, knowing this is your last embryo, she said, I would sleep better if we canceled. So we canceled that transfer the day of transfer, which we expected, but was still pretty, like... Like, what else? Yeah. Like, now what? Yeah. Yeah, we just, like... Like, Can we have a break on one thing one time? Yeah, exactly. So it just felt pretty damning at that point. She wanted to give it kind of one more attempt with a totally different strategy, doing a natural cycle. So instead of being on estrogen and progesterone, you're just you're monitoring your own cycle, almost like with an IUI. So you're watching for a mature follicle. You're watching for ovulation. Or in my case, we ended up doing a trigger shot um, once there was a follicle that looked mature and once my lining looked good. Because her thought was that all the kind of extra hormones were really kind of aggravating this scar tissue to produce more fluid. You know, we were not optimistic going into that natural cycle, but we didn't even know if I would ovulate because we had been on the depot Lupron. But things were looking good. Um, and I developed like a nice follicle, a nice lining, and we eventually did the trigger shot and then that's how they kind of time the transfers off that trigger then I did end up needing a little bit of kind of hormonal support because my levels weren't high enough but we were able to transfer which we never we never would have thought we were going to be able to and that transfer worked I got pregnant again from that transfer and how did that pregnancy go fortunately it went so smoothly I was very closely monitored I had a ton of ultrasounds. You know, early on, I was seeing my RE weekly for ultrasounds. Once we graduated to my OB, we were seeing not only my OB, but we were seeing the perinatologist. You know, we were having ultrasounds every couple weeks, having growth scans. I was on the Lovenox. I was on aspirin. But fortunately, I had no 
scares and that pregnancy. I mean, how did it feel to kind of have this same experience, but so, so different? It was, I mean, it was hard. It was scary. And I think fortunately, so fortunately that it was a smooth pregnancy. You know, I didn't have bleeding. I didn't have bad rest at week six. I was able to have, you know, aside from being considered high risk and being closely monitored, I was able to have a pretty normal pregnancy, which I'm so grateful for because I, it would have just been awful to go through another stressful pregnancy. Not to say it was not stressful, but another pregnancy where I was having bleeding and bed rest and all those things. So how has infertility changed you? You know, how has it changed you as a person? How has it changed your relationship with Eric, your husband? How how are you different? I think I'm such a different person than I when I walked into this journey. You know, I had been through some things in life. My mom had had cancer. But this just shook me on a whole new level. And I think I really learned to empathize, you know, with people going through not only infertility, but going through anything hard in life. Like, you just have a much better understanding of what it's like to feel pain and to feel grief and to feel loss. Um, So I think you learn to connect with other people on a totally new level. I think there's some silver linings like that, which my therapist would tell me that you don't always need to find the silver linings that sometimes things just suck but oh my gosh I love your therapist (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. but um you know there are there are positive changes I think I'm so much more like empathetic I think I'm more appreciative of just having my daughter having Ada and being a mom to her I think I have a different perspective on life too of what's important I think things that probably would have seemed really significant to me before going through all this, it's like no big deal now. And I don't get as worked up about them. So, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it's hard and it's always going to be hard to talk about it, but so many other people have also gone through similar losses and grief. And I just really appreciate you being brave enough to share your story and talk about this. And it's just, it, it means so much to me. It means so much to everyone in the community. And I just really appreciate it. So thanks, Bridget. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was Been There, Injected That. It is a new podcast produced by Fruitful Fertility, hosted by myself, Elise Ash. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. Please rate us. Check out our website. Send us an email. Let us know what you're liking, what you're not liking, what you want more of what you want less of. This is something new to us and we are just excited to be helping spread the word. So thank you so much.